Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Let the filibustering begin. Welcome to Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Filibuster here on the Nerd Party, the podcast whose weekend was spoiled by a giant baby from the US. But enough about watching Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. I'm your host, Dallas King, and joining me to virtually walk and talk our favourite political movies, Aaron Sorkin style, is the Jamie angriest man in Scotland to my Malcolm Tucker. It's Lee Hutchison. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. It's always good to be part of the Caledonian Mafia. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, if people uh, haven't already guessed uh, from the introduction, we're here uh, to talk about our all-time top five political movies. So uh, basically, it's any film that has a political slant, and I'm thinking that can be used quite tenuously from time to time. It may be that way in some of my picks anyway. Um, So shall we just kick in and straight away with number five what is your number five yeah my number five is uh so obviously usually with these lists and i've done it many a time over many episodes i was like well they're in no particular order but i feel that uh after all these many times that we've podcast it's like well here's just a, a random list i've tried to go with a top five but i'm sure it could change day to day but uh, my number five is a movie which starts with a number, 13 Days. Uh, I don't know if you're too familiar with this one. Uh, I have uh, seen this one, yes. Uh-huh, yeah. So for people that aren't too kind of familiar with the, the, the movie, um, it's based in 1864 uh, in October 1962. And uh, U2 surveillance photos reveal that the Soviet Union is in the process of placing nuclear weapons in Cuba. And these weapons have the capability of wiping out most of the eastern and southern United States in minutes if they become operational. And President John F. Kennedy and his advisors must come up with a plan of action against the Soviets. And Kennedy is determined to show that he is strong enough to stand up to the threat. And the Pentagon advises U.S. military strikes against Cuba, which could lead uh, the way to another U.S. invasion of the island. However, Kennedy is reluctant to follow through because a U.S. invasion could cause the Soviets to retaliate in Europe and a nuclear showdown appears almost inevitable. Um, This is kind of maybe a bit of a trend with my types of movies that I'm a huge political buff. Um, I love most of the books I read are non-fiction and they're mostly based around sort of American history and um, American politics. And I, I love sort of the procedural side of these sorts of things like what's it like to be in these rooms you know not so much like the grand events of you know of history but what's it like being in that room having the decisions and what are people's defined roles and how does that all work within that type of system and i think 13 days really capture that so well that it is very much a walking and talking movie people are 
you know, the fate of the world is essentially hanging on um, by a thread, really, as as Russia is ramping up delivering nuclear weapons to um, to Cuba, and the Americans could be striking back, and you know, the whole world could be plunged into nuclear war. And you know, I, I think it's something that we, you know, people of the eighties and nineties and so on, that when we were born, don't appreciate what the kind of the Cold War was like at that height, and and the fear people gen- genuinely had. And I think this movie captures that as as the world did look like it was going to be on you. Uh, teetering on nuclear um, of war and I think it's with with Kennedy so many kind of movies we've seen recently perhaps in the 90s something like JFK which focused on the conspiracy theories after his death and recently Jackie which again shows the consequences of his death over the course of a week with his wife I think a movie like this shows why John F. Kennedy was such a, a beloved politician and, and why he inspired generations of people that we we look at perhaps the leaders that we have these days and they seem cocksure you know eager to rush in where angels fear to tread whereas John F. Kennedy was, was a thoughtful guy and you know he made decisions that could have plunged the world into nuclear war but his steadfast resolve the people he had around him people like Bobby Kennedy helped steer the world through a you know into a peaceful solution to something like this when the the latter for most of that 13 days looked most likely yeah no absolutely I mean this is a, a story I mean um, I study the uh, school which is how I am um, uh, any sort of film or documentary about this particular um sort of period in history has always sort of fascinated me um what did you think of um, Bruce Greenwood's uh, portrayal as uh, John F. Kennedy? Because I'm just going through his IMDb list here, and he starred in a lot of political films. Uh, he's yes. been in um, lots of things. Uh, what was it? Some of them he had. Uh, he was in a Mark Felt, the man who brought down the White House. He was mm-hmm. in the Post. Uh, this was again this year. I'm sure at some point he's played Bobby Kennedy as well, but I can't remember what film it was. He has, yeah. Yeah, what do you know which? Film I can't it remember was? the movie off the. I can't remember. I think I can't remember the movie off the top of my head that he played Bobby Kennedy in. But yeah, he he definitely did, and he's he's just one of these actors I think is is criminally underrated in terms of his his movies and what he does. He brings so much and gravitas to kind of each role, and I think yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his. And whenever he put his his name is added to you know a cast, I always think oh that's. That's always the sign of of good casting. He's, you know, even things like the post uh, as as McNamara. You know, this is pretty much taking sort of place not long really after kind of the uh, the new uh, the thirteen days sort of in the grand scheme of American politics when when Nixon comes along. Um, he he always just stands out, and I think he's just he is an actor that I just don't think gets enough credit for for the roles. Perhaps as he's mostly always the you know the side character, the person there. But and even here they. Yeah, he is John F. Kennedy, but he doesn't perhaps have the the kind of main role in this movie. That kind of more falls to to Kevin Costner in this, and um, I think with him as Kenny Kenny O'Donnell, he is that kind of person where he's he's the everyman American perhaps that John F. Kennedy isn't, and we can sort of follow Kenny O'Donnell um, through this sort of experience. And yeah, I think he was um, yeah he was fantastic in this role, Bruce Greenwood. And I think the whole cast is it's it's just it's such a pitch perfect historical reenactment absolutely so uh, was at any point were you tempted to go with x-men first class instead or <laughs> yeah that would have been quite an interesting one and i think that that could make an interesting double bill one day something like 13 days and and this at the same time and um 
yeah, I, I like that about that kind of X Men movie, and it, it, I think the the other two, perhaps for for better or worse, didn't really kind of take that much further. Where the Cuban Missile Crisis and something like X Men First Class is is so well defined and is part of the story, and it like it really puts these X Men in like the. The, the time period they're in whereas the other ones just sort of like oh Return of the Jedi was out at this time or here's a wink and a nod to some of the the antics that were going on at the time whereas this I feel like was such a nice blend and it's, it's a shame the others didn't do that it'll be, be interesting to see what they do with the the fourth one in this sort of prequel series absolutely so um, I guess it's time for my number five and potentially a controversial choice, but uh, I'm going with uh, the Purge election year. Interesting and topical as well. Indeed, yeah. Um, I was originally going to have the Purge uh, just like as a as a franchise overall because I think um, what it's doing right now is very interesting. But election year is probably the the one that sort of really sort of turned uh, the the screw and decided to. F- almost hold a mirror up to what is going on currently and in, in politically but uh the purge essentially is when it came out in 2013 was a movie which was deemed under imdb as a horror slash science fiction um where for one night of every year all crime including murder is legal and people could take out their frustrations and anger out in one night and this was basically brought in by an alternative to the Democrats and the Republicans as a way of saving America. And it focused on one sort of uh, affluent suburban white family at the time. But as it's gone on, it's sort of widened out the scope. Um, the purge, um, uh, the first purge this year, uh, sort of looked at a sort of a, a fairly black community uh, on Staten Island under the, the very first version of this experiment. But the purge election year was released in July of uh, 2016, just before uh, the the big election, and the the plot of this particular one is uh, that uh, a, a woman is campaigning to be president. To uh, basically, her sole campaign is to basically uh, cancel the purge, uh, and so a group of uh, hoity-toity uh, men decide that they will use the, this year's purge to take her out and kill her to eliminate her competition. Uh, and it's just so on the nose of how people were feeling at the time that uh, I think that what they're doing is they're, you know, they're popcorn movies, but the the sort of the way they are becoming, they've got a lot more to say than people actually think. And for me, I think uh, it's become one of the most uh, terrifyingly socially relevant franchises of the past sort of five years. I think. Yeah, like I, I, I haven't. I've seen the first Purge, but I've never seen any other ones. And I, I, I did sort of fancy catching this one because I did find the trailer somewhat interesting and the idea that um, I could probably get into this one without having seen the. I think there's another two before this. Yeah, uh, or three, or three in total. Um, so it's it's maybe on my list to maybe try and catch next week. Um, if I get the chance, my girlfriend goes away on holiday, so it gives me some time to go camp out in the cinema for a little while. So I, I definitely. We'll, we'll definitely put that high on my list if it's if it's made it into your yeah, list. No, I think I, I think they are definitely worth a watch if you can. And um, yeah, you can watch each one individually without having seen the others because um, you know it kind of goes through the setup at the beginning of every sort of time. But I think yeah, it's just sort of the fact that you know in in some of them they basically talk about how 
the government used the purge as an, uh, an opportunity to sort of wipe out some of the sort of lower class, low paid uh, families to take, you know, essentially to get rid of certain minorities and certain sort of to basically wean down the population size and stuff like that is really quite sort of terrifying. And, you know, you look at the way certain things are going, you think it's not really that far off as science fiction at the moment because you could see it happening potentially. Uh, which is why uh, I've got that at my number five. Interesting. So we move up to number four on your list, and what do you yeah. have for us? This movie's uh, 20 years old this year, and it feels probably as topical as ever, really. Um, it's Bullworth, uh, directed by Warren Beatty and starring Warren Beatty. And Warren Beatty plays the title character uh, Bullworth, and he's a Democratic senator running for re-election in California in 1996 in the, the height of the, the Bill Clinton era. And he's depressed by the cashing in on the right-wing trend in politics at the expense of his beliefs. You know, he's an out-and-out liberal, and he decides to order a hit on himself um, after having taken out a huge life insurance policy. But his imminent death allows him to speak out in a brutally honest manner that is true to his old liberal and even socialist beliefs. And the interesting way that he does it isn't so in, isn't in the form of, of tweets or anything like that, but he does it in the form of hip-hop music, which is quite bizarre considering Warren Beatty is this elderly white man. Um, and he, you know, he kind of falls into sort of the, the, the black neighbourhoods of California um, and he falls in love with... Uh, Nina, played by Halle Berry in, in central Los Angeles. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting movie. And um, I can't remember how I, I ended up seeing it for the first time. I, I remember buying the DVD, and I think it was it was from, like, when Aberdeen had a fop, and you could kind of go in, and you would pick up some cheap DVDs at the time. And it was a movie that, like, the poster was this, like, stretched face, and it was illustrated. And it just, it just sounded interesting, and it kind of fitted in with sort of I think I saw it like early 2000s and I was kind of in a bit of a West Wing vibe at the time so something like Bullworth seemed a good fit and it's it just such a great movie because you you watched it at the time and you thought this is hysterical this guy has got no care in the world for norms and his you know verbal diarrhea to an extent his honesty or how brazen he is is quite amusing to watch and it's amusing in that respect because you think at the time well imagine being a politician being able to come away with these things and to run a a re-election campaign and something like that and then fast forward you know 20 years in the world we're living in just now and you'll have to look at kind of what's been going on in the the uk and europe just alone the past few days with someone like donald trump so you know kind of bullworth was a movie ahead of its time and i definitely think it's one of uh, warren Beatty's finest hours really i I can't praise it highly enough it seems to be a a kind of cult movie and i'm surprised it's never perhaps exploded to uh to something bigger no i think uh, yeah it's definitely sort of one of those sort of ones uh, I think I actually remember it more for the song Ghetto Superstar. Yes, that's um, right. That yeah. came out of that one. That was uh, my lasting sort of memory of that one because that song was huge uh, yeah. everywhere um, and almost sort of dwarfed the movie. Certainly, probably over in the UK rather than the US. But yeah, it, it Bullworth came out around about the same sort of time as other ones. So, so it wasn't it? So like Wag the Dog and Primary Colors. Um, which uh, was taking a sort of rather sort of satirical look at politics at the time, but yeah, no, it's it's one that I probably really put, should put on a, a rewatch list at some point because um, it's probably um, you know gained a lot in the last sort of twenty years, and it's probably even funnier uh, now looking back on it as, as to where we are in politics at the moment. So, 
yeah, I, I think it, I hope people kind of put it perhaps up higher on the list, but I can somewhat imagine that it might be a bit more difficult with, with all the news coverage that uh, certain politicians get where it just feels like so draining. The idea of watching something like this might think, do I really need to watch another thing about a politician just sort of speaking, you know, so brazenly? Um, but I, I think people would be would, will be richly rewarded by this and reminded of what a great actor someone like Halle Berry even was. You know, she's it's been a long time since she's been over in anything particular of note or interest and this showed what potential she had in the, the late 90s and it's a shame to see her career hasn't hasn't gone the way it, it kind of promised to yeah no absolutely um so we're going on to my number four and it's probably one that many many people have probably got at the very top of their list uh but for me i've got it at number four and that's all the president's men interesting and good choice another topical movie as well indeed indeed um for me i mean this was i think i probably saw it was probably around the time when i sort of started university it was like one of those ones on the list of that people should watch at the time and for me what i i love about it is it it was just like the whole sort of procedural aspect of it if you got to see the importance of journalism and i think it's a film which is incredibly important for people to watch nowadays um just the sort of the whole work ethic and you know the fact that these people you know they, you know their careers could potentially be ruined forever but they still go along pursuing the story and, and publicizing it because they know that it's the right thing to do um i mean dustin hoffman and robert redford are brilliant uh jason robards is the um editor of the the Washington Post as well, but I mean, it's just a, a fantastic film and still holds up today. I mean, there's some fantastic shots in there. That one in the sort of uh, the library where it sort of pans out and then sort of zooms up over all the the sort of books and then all the the floors of the library and stuff is just stunning. And um, I mean, I remember when I'm watching the Post earlier this year. Um, where it went through that and then had almost like a post-credit sting of the people sort of breaking into those Watergate offices. And I could almost imagine that the post was basically setting up an extended cinematic universe of political films where it basically would go straight into all the president's men. So uh, for me, I mean, it's just one of the all-time greats. And uh, I think it's a film that uh, anyone who's got any sort of interest in politics or journalism or the free press, whatever, needs to watch. Yeah, I, I, t- I totally agree. And I remembered sitting there watching the post as well, thinking, God, it'd be so funny if they did like a post credit scene where they, they do the break in. And uh, and it was just when it happened, I felt like going, no way. It was just, I, I thought it was, it was so good. And yeah, it's, I'm, it's, I, I'm the same. And it could almost be a moot episode we could discuss one day where like I'm a huge fan of movies about journalists and it's almost the same perhaps as sort of the the politics one sort of a procedural one where something like all the uh, president's men where it's it's literally just a movie about two people getting on with their job and their their this huge situation is unfolding around them and they're just sort of going around their job in a methodical way professional way and that's just incredible to witness something like that and i think it's it's great to see this movie seems to have you know, continues to pull in people year after year, and especially in the current climate with with the attacks on journalism and and how much the the press all around the world are kind of diving into all this kind of corruption and Russian hacking, etc. It's a it's definitely a movie that still, as again that we've said with a few of these, just seems as topical as ever. No, absolutely, um, and yeah, no, I mean it's like it shows journalism for what 
many people imagine it would be uh, or what it would have been for when they were wanting to you know become a journalist you know not having to create clickbait articles and um ironically sort of doing just top 10 lists and top five lists which is what we're doing but that's you know <laughs> modern sort of film criticism and journalism nowadays but uh, it was uh, a different era back then and it's it's one that i'm sure a lot of people would like to to return to as well so yeah definitely and i, I think one of these you see it with like the the cuts in newspapers you know the editorials and and such like and i think one thing that's definitely been a positive in in particular really america and for sort of things like the washington post new york times which we we see touched on in these movies like the post and all the uh, president's men is like the amount of investment that has sort of gone back into journalism to to hold truth to power and i think that's been a you know positive as well i think that if trump hadn't have got in perhaps those newspapers would have continued to sort of cut back cut back and their readership would have declined and i think that's been a benefit of the trump era has been the the reinvigor the vigoration again of the um you know investment in the press and for all the people that are critical of you know things like the failing new york times and the <laughs> the washington post lobby what a newspaper whatever that people are equally as well investing in them and championing them and using the websites and using them as you know ways to access information which is going on in a world that is truly crazy absolutely and uh, i mean with the post and all, all the presidents as well it was just there was a thrill i could when i remember when seeing the post it was a thrill of people watching the scene where they actually put together the sort of printing press for the paper and stuff like that mm. people were just like oh wow look at that they couldn't they just couldn't comprehend you know just how much work went into actually printing the paper and you know i guess a lot of that is lost because you've got computers and stuff these days but i mean it was just a different time but you know as we say it's a film which has become increasingly more relevant as as time you know uh, as history repeats itself almost so yeah absolutely so we're heading into the top three and what is your number three pick yeah, um, I'm going to go with this movie, which was one of my, I think it was in my top three of uh, 2016 films, and it's uh, Wiener, which ended up becoming a bit of a a more notorious film than it originally was going to be. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this one. I, I did, uh, I may sort uh, up here at the, uh, the Belmont, and uh, it was, I think, probably the best documentary I saw that year, and yeah, just a, a, one of those stories which is just too unbelievable to be true but then just gets even worse as it goes along and you just like going what are you doing stop 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 but yeah uh, i'll let you uh, explain it take it away yeah um if people aren't too familiar with anthony weiner uh we, we mentioned his name a few times but if one man played such a key role in getting donald trump elected it ended up being inadvertently and sort of somewhat unsurprisingly anthony weiner uh to give you a bit of a, an in-depth insight into weiner and the film um he was a serving seven uh, consecutive terms um, member of Congress. And Anthony Weiner was good friends and political allies to people like the Clintons. And he was once a highly respected member of Congress from New York City. And he was seen as a man kind of sticking up for the, you know, 
the everyday person. He would be there on the the Congress floor, you know, championing the working guy. He was passionate. He was full of beans. But all that changed in in June 2011 when he was forced to resign in disgrace after admitting that he did in fact tweet a photo of his crotch, um, which he claimed was hacked and wasn't him. In in reality, as it always is with people, it was himself. So uh, at the time, his wife Huma Amadine uh, herself was a key aide to kind of Hillary Clinton. Was pregnant with her first child um, but you know she decided to stick with her man two years after that Huma Amadine continued to stay with Anthony Weiner. their relationship still strained and going through issues and Weiner decides to resurrect his political career in a run for New York City mayor and he realised he's an uphill battle not only because of the known previous tweeted photos whenever he goes to press conferences or events people bring it up they question his ability to you know as a father as a trusted member um, but um, there are also other lewd photos that haven't come to light yet and naturally with these things they come out and um his uh, personal life begins to suffer as he continues to campaign for mayor and the the onslaught of the media going after him exposing these lewd photos affairs and relationships and you know sexcapades over the internet um and his relationship continues to fall apart and his mayoral ambitions continue to fall apart in front of us. Um, and we have a completely car crash insight into his campaign, his relationship, as this all continues to fall apart. And um, the the movie ends, obviously, with his fair, failed mayoral bid, but his relationship somewhat still intact. And perhaps the worst damage that he has done has been to his family and his reputation. But um, if anyone remembers the famous James Comey letter, uh, Anthony Weiner in the run-up to the 2016 election was found to have uh, been at it again with someone over the internet. And it was a young 16-year-old girl. And while the FBI was looking at his computer, they found some of Hillary Clinton's emails, which uh, reopened an investigation into her emails, which uh, where a letter was produced to the uh, Congress saying it was open again. And Hillary Clinton to this day argues that was the moment that lost her the campaign. And um, that's what brought Donald Trump to life. So Anthony Weiner is a person that will go down in history for many, many reasons. And this film gives us an interesting insight into it. And it's, it's hard not to watch and feel like it's Jaws that even as the movie ends, that there's still a sting in the tail of, of Anthony Weiner's career. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those sort of documentaries which is just too unbelievable you you think it could be like a parody but it's it's all true and yeah it's like he he comes across you know at times as sort of like a nice guy and he's a bull but it's like rule 101 if your name is wiener the one thing you should never do is (laughs) basically sex text photos of your own wiener to someone it's like you know it's 101 and politics surely but uh yeah no it's a fantastic documentary and uh, definitely one worth checking out i believe it is on uh, netflix at the moment actually if uh, if you want to check that out so yeah it's it's it be, it's one of those ones you'll be watching behind your hands it's 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 a fascinating insight into a, a mayoral campaign and it's and a you know a political machine and yeah it's it's just crazy to believe what you know what this man has, has done to the world and in terms of uh not being able to keep it in his pants so yeah highly recommend wiener um if you're still hurting that donald trump's president perhaps maybe not watch this one because you might have to take a shoe out of your tv and buy a brand new one yeah, but her emails 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it's oh dear, it's it's I'm cringing just thinking about this movie. Okay. Oh, no, well, yeah. Well, my number three is uh, yet again a film which uh, has become perhaps more uh, relevant as time's gone on, and it's uh, V for Vendetta. Excellent choice. Yeah, a, a fantastic film based uh, on the uh, graphic novel by Alan Moore. Um, one that uh, received a bit of a mixed reception uh, on its release. Uh, fans of the graphic novel weren't too keen on the adaptation, but I hadn't read it at that point, and I just thought the film was fantastic. It's got one of Natalie Portman's all-time best performances in it for me. Um, Hugo Weaving as the uh, mysterious V, um, a terrorist who, uh, well, I suppose, well, what the government would consider a terrorist, you know, one man's terrorist and another man's freedom fighter, is a man who is uh, rising up against uh, an oppressive British government who is uh, taking basically full control over uh, the state. And uh, basically one day he meets Evie, uh, played by Natalie Portman, and slowly uh, she becomes involved in his cause uh, as basically a new sort of Guy Fawkes figure um, to take down uh, this new uh, regime. Um, it's a film which, uh, if you haven't seen even if you haven't seen Viva Vendetta, you will be aware of it because of the mask, uh, the sort of now iconic mask, which has become the face of many sort of different uh, campaigns and uh, resistance movements around the world as well. But um, it's a film sort of watching stuff like The Handmaid's Tale these days. Um, it feels very much like that in that it's just different enough to be fictional, but you could see it happening and... Yeah, for me, it's sort of watching it uh, a couple of years ago. It's it's getting to that point where you're thinking mm, this isn't that far off. I think, and uh, again, it's a, a film which could become even more relevant as the years go on. But for me, it's one of the best uh, graphic novel, comic book adaptations of all time. And yeah, it's it's for me, it's what wins it over is uh, the performances of Hugo Weaving, who's and behind the mask uh, the entire time but his vocal performance is, is superb and uh yeah natalie portman is just fantastic in it yeah i think with like this it's it's i remember seeing it at the cinema at the time when it came out and i've been really impressed with it and, and what's blown me away is that when we think of like some of the big movies of the the past you know 10 15 years like the iconography of this movie has exploded in in a way that i don't think anyone could have imagined possible and it's probably almost become one of the most influential movies on our society and and how people present themselves in that period of time that you think of those masks and they're everywhere now that probably some chinese factory somewhere has made an absolute killing off this movie and i think it's just absolutely impressive how that movie has has become part of the zeitgeist of the the place that as you say even if you've not seen the film you've seen that mask and that's something that's that's so hard to do and it's yeah it's it's definitely once again we say it it's it's as just as relevant as ever yeah no i think um you know my list it's probably one of the the film which has probably had more sort of influence on sort of politics uh uh, certainly within young people than any of those. I mean, All the President's Men is hugely influential, but certainly FIFA Vendetta had a huge sort of impact on on sort of younger people and, and sort of, I guess, giving them sort of uh, a way to, and a, a sort of style of how to conduct themselves and in, in sort of dealing with politics and realising that, you know, there is a, 
a need to to speak out and stuff like that because it deals with issues about how certain minorities uh, whether it be sort of race or sexuality whatever are victimized and basically sort of almost sort of cast out and uh, killed off and it's basically sort of learning to, to to rise up and make sure that your voice has been heard so absolutely okay cool uh amazingly uh, we actually haven't had any crossover yet um i think that's coming though. i think there is coming i think there's what I, I basically sort of as soon as i sort of suggested this last week i, I knew there'd be one film which would probably <laughs> be pretty much at the top of both of our lists but uh uh i'll leave it up to you to introduce your number two political film of all time yeah, my number two is Election, the Alexander Payne movie from the, the late 90s. Excellent choice, uh, which means we've, yeah, I think, uh, well, I think I can tell what your number one is, but uh, it's good to see a political film which is not about government politics, but about uh, a different type of politics. So for people who haven't seen Absolutely, Election, yeah. do you want to give us a brief rundown of what it's about? Yeah, you're you're 100% missing out on a, a great uh, original comedy. Uh, Jim McAllister, played by Matthew Broderick, is a social studies teacher at Carver High, and a student of his, Tracy Flick, played by uh, Reese Witherspoon, uh, tends to rub him up in the wrong way. Flick is a loner but ambitious girl and decides to run for class president. And McAllister convinces football player Paul to run against her. And then his lesbian sister Tammy joins the election after her girlfriend starts going out with Paul. And during the campaign, Tracy plays dirty, uh, plays dirty, plying students with muffins and gum. And ta- Tommy, Tammy adopts an anarchist attitude that the student body responds to. And but Paul has a few uh, skills to offer for the position himself. Uh, this is one of my all-time favorite movies and I, I just I never tire of it um, I remembered when I, I first saw Sideways and I absolutely fell in love with it um, it was one of those movies I was like this is brilliant who's this director and wanting to seek out the rest of his films and and then I kind of stumbled upon uh, Election and it's it's not my favorite Paul Thomas uh, what it's not my favorite Alexander Payne movie, but it is definitely up there with with, with Sideways for sure. And it's great to see Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon in slightly different movies that we're so used to. Matthew Broderick as sort of the comedy guy, the wacky guy. Um, in this, he plays a very downbeaten, downtrodden teacher that you know he's he's having an affair that's going terribly. And we all know someone kind of like a Tracy Flick, that person that will do anything and walk over anyone and do it with a smile and Reese Witherspoon is perfect in this you know people often associate her with uh, her roles and something like Legally Blonde but for me she will always be pick flick Tracy Flick herself it's just such a great movie such a great comedy and even though it isn't about government it is about a race for you know the the president of the high school like it's impossible not to draw the parallels between certain things in the 90s you know Tracy Flick has her own parallels with someone like Hillary Clinton and and such like and um, you know the reasons that someone like Jim McAllister finds Tracy Flick so abhorrent are many of the things that people said about Hillary Clinton as she ran for president. She's too ambitious, you know, she needs to be put in her place. Right, we're going to get the jock to run against her instead and, you know, watch what happens. And then we've got an anarchist running against her. And it, it, once again, it becomes all too familiar and a bit of a, a timeless comedy classic in, in this one. Yeah, no, it's a, a fantastic film. And one of the sort of first films I'd seen that I, I, re- I realised that you know Reese Witherspoon was actually you know much more than just sort of like the the pretty face that was in like Cruel Intentions and, and things like that. Uh, she was the real deal, and uh, yeah, I know. I mean, uh, 
when it comes to political movies, it's it can be any sort of politics. I mean, I was looking at the uh, the def- dictionary definition again to to see what sort of um, leeway I had in some of my choices, and this uh, this was considered uh, several points, but just didn't make it into to my top five. But I'm glad it, it's made it into yours, and uh, yeah, no, it's just one of those ones which is yeah, just you can everyone knows all the different the different archetypes from their own time at school and stuff like that so it's one that uh yeah resonates well with with everyone i think absolutely and i i wish more people knew of this film and i find it frustrating sometimes to go oh tell me you've seen election tell me you see election it's like no no i've not seen it it's 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 criminally underrated i think uh, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, if this if this podcast does anything, but you know, it helps some people find some films and give them a go that they maybe haven't seen before, then that's that's our job done. And that's that's a that's a win. So, um, I guess it's time for my number two, and it's gonna I think tie in nicely with your number one. I think, and my number two political film of all time is In the Loop. Yep, that's my that's number, number one. one. How, how, we, it was always going to happen. It was just a case of where it all tied in. Absolutely. So, uh, in the loop uh, is partly inspired by uh, a television show in the UK by uh, Amanda Inichi called uh, in, Th- "In the Thick of It." Uh, I say partly inspired by in the fact that they're both about politics, but there is one sort of character who uh, appears in both of them, and that is. Um, uh, Peter Capaldi and Amanda Iannucci's uh, finest creation, uh, Malcolm Tucker, uh, the spin doctor with the <laughs> uh, who has who's turned basically turns the art of swearing, yeah, pretty much into an art form, into a new type of language. <laughs> uh, the withering put downs and the uh, abuse that he gives certain people is just a. Uh, utterly astounding that it's absolutely hilarious and uh he's he's i wouldn't even say he, he's not even a villain he's just he's the guy who tells it like it is i think and, but <laughs> uh, in the loop is sort of centered around uh uh a sort of uh uh there's a young sort of uh, up-and-coming uh politician in the uk who uh ends up saying that uh, war is, is unforeseeable uh, and then this sort of kicks off this whole situation where the US get involved and he ends up going over and having to be taking part in committee meetings and stuff like this and uh, it's uh, it just sort of all escalates into this crazy thing that you think this can't be true, this can't be how politics is but from basically what everyone said it totally is, and you know it's uh, the politician is played by Tom Hollander, who essentially is playing the sort of straight man of the story, and he's just utterly fantastic. Uh, and you know, at the same time, is going across to the US and being excited about getting, you know, uh, diplomatic visas and getting to go through uh, different lines at the airport. Still has to come back to do his um, sort of a constituency meetings uh mm-hmm. where this whole situation about a wall that's falling down and stuff like this and just the sort of the whole sort of balance of it just works perfectly and yeah i mean it, it for me it was i think the comedy of the year that year i think it was about 2009 and it's just one of the funniest films and so many quotable lines from it and also 
you know, the in the thick of it came back for another series later on, but it's Amanda Nietzsche's pretty much admitted that he can't do another series of it, sadly, because, you know, politics, certainly in the UK and probably in the US as well, has become so beyond parody that uh, it wouldn't be worth it. I think people laugh too much at normal politics that um, anything that they did would no longer be seen as uh, unbelievable, it would be seen as fact, so yeah. So why yeah. do you have it as your number one film of all time? It's just, I think it's just such a wonderful takedown of not just sort of British politics, but the American one as well. And it's like, as you say, he still has to, like in amongst this push towards war, that he's still got to contend with his constituent and a, a, deg- a, a wall that's falling apart. And I think this kind of sums up sometimes that sort of the American view of UK politics is it's quite parochial and quite small and stuff in terms of how they react is very traditional whereas American politics is so big and bombastic and you couldn't imagine you know the the Paul Ryans of the world all these different senators you know your Chuck Schumers whatever having an issue or a debate about a wall with someone and I just think the performances in this are just pitch perfect you know and as you say like there's only like you know Malcolm Tucker and uh, Jamie are the only characters that retain their original roles really from the TV series and I just think it's one of these movies that I remember watching with a crowd and just being in absolute hysterics and the whole audience was just resonating with it as well like that is the most that you can ask from a that's the, from a comedy is for an entire audience to just click with it and I, I love it I just genuinely think it's it's just incredible and Malcolm Tucker is one of the the greatest original characters of all time and and Peter Capaldi will will you know he's Doctor Who to most people but for me he will always be Malcolm Tucker that guy is is just an icon absolutely uh, I remember when he first got announced for the role of Doctor Who and someone sort of made a mashup trailer of Doctor Who and sort of uh, some of his best lines from in the thick of it and in the loop and it was just one of the funniest things I've ever seen it was just <laughs> brilliant but yeah I mean it's the lines are just so incredibly funny but they're all just so incredibly uh, obscene that we probably couldn't really say them on here you know to talk of you know popping no, a jaunty <laughs> bonnet on your purview and ramming it up somewhere etc etc but yeah I mean like you say it's a lot of the same cast from the thick of it but they're all playing sort of different people but yeah you, know, uh, you don't mess with a winning formula which is uh, Armando Iannucci and, and Malcolm Tucker and dialogue like that it's just superb and it's, it's got a great cameo as well from Steve Coogan is is, is the, yeah. the guy who's the way the wall is coming into his mum's back garden and it's just like hello <laughs> <laughs> yeah no absolutely fantastic and yeah I mean it's one which a lot of people in the UK have known, but uh, I don't know how big it was over in America, but uh, it's certainly uh, worth checking out um, because, yeah, it will give you an accurate view of how politics is currently going in the UK, uh, if you want to know. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the one thing that's quite odd about this as well is that, obviously, Veep came sort of after this movie, uh, movie, and it does feature quite a few of the same American actors. They sort of transitioned over to that, and again, in sort of different roles. And it's amazing when I've gone to like Americans, like, oh, have you, you obviously you, you like Veep and watch Veep. Have you watched like the pretty much the original version of this, you know, the thick of it in the loop movie? You know, it was nominated for a freaking original screenplay Oscar uh, or an adapted one. And they were like, people were like, no, I've never heard of it. And I always think it must be so exciting to be a fan of Veep thinking, oh my God, this show is brilliant. And then realizing it's got a UK cousin and it's like another 
25 odd episodes in a feature length Oscar nominated movie that they can watch as a companion piece to to this fantastic American show too yeah no I mean it's 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 something which is just for me it's the best political film to come out of the UK ever and uh, I don't think anything will ever beat it you know since no. certainly not anything like the darkest hour oh, the dullest hour more like that was absolutely terrible mm-hmm. but um yeah, so I guess that just leaves one final film to discuss, and I was going back and forth on this for a while. In the loop was was at the top, but I thought, no, you know what? I'm going to go back to my one of my f- sort of favorite sort of films sort of in the in the mid '90s. Uh, for me, it's one of actually no, I'd say it's the greatest on screen president in the history of movies, and for me, it is Air Force One fantastic choice i would never have in a million years thought of that that is such a good pool well it was like for a while i was thinking politics and then it's like could, well you know a lot of them are about presidential campaigns and stuff could i get away with any film that features a president and for a while i was thinking could you get away with independence day and then i thought well bill pullman yeah. is good and he has got he has got one of the most iconic moments in in cinema history certainly from the from the 90s onwards with his you know this is our independence day speech but for me um besides um jed bartlett in the west wing um certainly the best tv president we've ever had uh for me it's got to be uh harrison ford in air force one i just think mm-hmm. you know it's it's die hard on a plane let's face it it is you know they're on a plane terrorists take over you know, the president has to take them out because, of course, as it's written into the script, he used to be, you know, a former, you know, air pilot and soldier and stuff like that. So he's got the skills to take them on, you know, similar, you know, you have to write this sort of stuff in. Uh, in Independence Day, it's the same. Um, a lot of The Rocks movies recently, I've realised, um, Skyscraper, uh, he was a former FBI agent who becomes a security consultant in Rampage, who was former Special Forces, but then decided to change careers to learn about apes you know but you just need that one line of dialogue to basically say why he's so huge and can carry a gun and stuff like that so yeah i mean air force one um yeah it's diehard not playing but it's done really well you know it's got gary oldman hamming it up uh you've got a british guy with a european accent done tick it's got a great sort of a supporting cast um you've got sort of william h macy um you've got sort of sander berkeley uh, dean stockwell stuff like this uh, but for me, a lot of it came down to the... I was certainly not aware of this sort of thing, but I did learn about politics at the same time as watching Air Force One. You think, but how could you? But the whole sort of um, 25th Amendment thing about how, you know, the, the president is uh, incapacitated or unable to perform his presidential duties, therefore the uh, uh, presidency would pass to the vice president and stuff like that. I learned that from Air Force One. Um, yeah, so, subsequently used about six thousand times a season in twenty four. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Any time they've got to go uh, under general anaesthetic or whatever, you've got this. But uh, and I know that basically as soon as Trump was elected, people were talking about how would we be able to uh, invoke the twenty fifth amendment and stuff like this. But um, for me, it's just a purely just a great action film, and and Harrison Ford makes for just for me the best on-screen fictional president, I probably should say fictional president uh, of all time for me. 
I think like when I think of this movie I think of like being I think I was maybe like 10 at the time and I could start to maybe have a bit more sway over the movies we were renting from Blockbuster and I I picked out Air Force One and watching that movie as like a 10 year old boy and it's just got like everything you could kind of want this action movie you know like Harrison Ford is this you know you know larger than life president you know it's got all the great action lines get off my plane and yeah it's it's so cool and I can just I can picture that Air Force One big bulky VHS rental box just perfectly yeah no I mean it was it's it's one of those films which is you know slightly ridiculous but you don't care I mean it was it came out you know around about the sort of same time as Con Air and stuff like this so you know um you know there was that great sort of you know, the sort of ninety six to ninety eight was a sort of a great time for sort of like, you know, that old school Hollywood action film. You had like Face Off and stuff coming out around about that time. But it was just, just a great film. And I mean, it still was enjoyable over here. But I can imagine that it played like gangbusters in the US. Like oh, that God, moment yeah. when the, you know, they all get on the spoiler by the way, but they get on the the sort of the small sort of helicarrier plane at the end and the guy goes uh just updating our call sign we are now air force one and it's got that thing (laughs) of it's like one of those things which i don't know if it happens in real life but it's always in like stuff like apollo 13 air force one or whatever it's where you know all the action is taking place on a plane or a spaceship these guys are doing a lot of hard work to to sort these situations out, but as soon as like the plane lands safely or something, everyone in those rooms starts cheering and hugging like they're the one responsible, even though they've not really mm-hmm. had too much to do. But they take it as a personal victory. They're like yes, they start throwing papers up in the air. Everyone's just like, ah, oh, I can't believe it. Yeah, and yeah, it's just the sort of epitome of like a, a truly great sort of summer blockbuster. And um, for me. Um, the finest, uh, my my personal favorite uh, political film of all time. It's, it's a ve- an excellent choice, an excellent choice. Yeah, I think that like, we've got a pretty diverse list of movies yeah. here, from documentaries to action movies yeah, and, and, to to everything in between. And only one crossover, which was uh, very surprising. I thought there would have been uh, a couple that we might have picked uh, both on, but yeah, no, it's a, a great list. So out of that, yeah, there's basically nine film nine films for people to go and check out if they haven't already but uh, i'm sure the likes of air force one most people have probably seen but there's definitely a few hidden gems in there to check out as well absolutely exactly you never need an excuse to watch uh, air force one uh, and I, I mean i actually before we, we wrap up i i have a question to to ask you as well is that uh, i i watched a movie this week and uh I know that you've seen it in uh, at the Edinburgh Film Festival and it was in your top list and I, I seeked it out this week and I, I would just love to know before we get to that, what movies have you watched this week, Dallas, and uh, what would you have seen and, and recommend? Um, I think actually the only film that I've actually seen this week is um, Skyscraper uh, which is Die Hard oh, in I the Towering Inferno. I'm so, going to go see it Sunday. Yeah, no, uh, it's the only one I've seen, and it's you know perfectly <laughs> enjoyable sort of Friday night popcorn movie. You know, it does exactly what it says on the tin. You know, The Rock is dependable as always. You know, it's got some great sequences. You know, the whole sort of um, jumping off the crane into the building, which plays a lot better in the film than it does on that poster, where someone basically worked out that given his sort mm-hmm. of 
the image of him and where he was on the poster, the sort of different trajectories of where he would land, i.e. he wouldn't make it into the building, but it works a lot better in the film. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, there's, the villains are, are nowhere near sort of Hans Gruber level, but uh, I mean, it's it's perfectly, you know, it's it's what The Rock does, it's what he delivers, and yeah, no, it's a, it's a great film, and... Um, mm-hmm. But it's a, well, it's not a great film. It's a, it's a good film. It's a good solid film. Uh, I was planning to watch um, the 60th anniversary release of Vertigo, but uh, I have to wait a couple more days to, to catch that one. So, um, what about yourself? I know there was a big one which you managed to catch a preview of, which I think we're going to save for a later date. Yeah. But uh, what else have you got? Oh yes, yes. I, I won't say much apart from. Yeah, so obviously I did see Mission Impossible Fallout this week and I, I took someone along that had never ever seen a Mission Impossible movie and, and she loved it, so that's always a, a, an encouraging sign and I will we'll see not, very little until we actually until, you know, the, the Joe public can go, go along and see it as well and then um, I saw First Reformed as well, which is incredible and I just think that's a movie that people need to go along and see and I have a feeling it's going to be gone from the cinemas very, very quickly it's already showing in the infamous Screen 13 here in, in, in Edinburgh, so that's always a sign a movie is only sticking around for a week. Um, and it's it's really worth seeing. Ethan Hawke's performance is fantastic, and it's a movie that will, will linger in people's minds I, after. I, but um, I do want to see that one. It's uh, not showing in Aberdeen until the 24th of August, sadly. That's the, the earliest it's going to come to our local independent cinema up here, so... Uh, I've heard a lot of good things, so hopefully uh, it'll be worth the wait. I, I watched First Reformed and then went to see Incredibles 2 afterwards, uh, a movie that I think everyone saw at the Edinburgh Film Festival or saw during unlimited previews on sort of the same period of time. And I felt like the last person in the world to go see this movie. And I think you had it in your top five movies of the festival as well, did you? I did, yeah. Uh, for me, uh, it was worth the uh, the fourteen year wait, uh, and yeah, I just thought it was uh, certainly one of the the best films I've seen this year so far. Uh, it's not perhaps uh, Avengers Infinity War level, but um, in terms of Pixar sequels, it's it's certainly one of the best they've done. What did you think? Yeah, well, I think I'm in the minority for this one. Like oh. everyone seemed to be coming out of this saying it's brilliant, it's great, you know, worth the wait, everything like that. And I'd been a bit lukewarm on the trailers and. All the response I've had since seeing this movie uh, has been how wrong I am. I've got no soul. But <laughs> I genuinely didn't enjoy the movie, you know, much at all. And, you know, there's aspects I liked about it, but I thought it was a huge, huge disappointment. And, um, yeah, it was just completely unremarkable. It was unincredible. Whoa. Well, um, I mean, maybe I was just really... Uh, maybe I'd need to watch it a second time to, to really sort of distill what I thought. But for me, I thought what really impressed me was just the look of the film. I thought uh, it sort of took sort of the animation up a notch and it looked incredibly cinematic. I mean, the the sequence where um, uh, Elastigirl is on the motorbike chasing through the city trying to stop mm-hmm. the runaway train was up there you know for me with stuff like uh, Spider-Man 2 and sort of uh, Batman Begins and things like that it was incredibly polished and incredibly well done and yeah no I just uh, I just re- really sort of liked it and liked the interplay between the, the family and stuff like that and uh, I mean yeah maybe the villain is maybe not as strong it's, it's probably certainly not as strong as, as Syndrome was in the first one but uh I like the sort of scheme and stuff like that. And uh, I think there's definitely a lot 
more places that the this particular Pixar franchise could go. So. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's it's one of these movies. I think yeah, I just feel just maybe it was coming out of a movie like First Reformed where it's tackling so many <laughs> you know huge uh, issues and thoughts and you know it's it's a, a kind of cinematic masterpiece in a way. It was a it made for an odd double bill and I think it was the fact that I was perhaps underneath a a cold fan as well that made it a somewhat difficult movie to sit through. But yeah, it just wasn't a movie that sort of stuck with me sadly. Well, you know, people, uh, you know, say, oh, I wasn't in the right mood. But, you know, that is true. Sometimes, you know, what things that you take into the, the screen, whether, you know, you've had a bad day at work or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, if you've watched like a double bill and it's two very polar opposite films and whatever, this stuff can sometimes affect what you think. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was maybe on a festival high at that point. Maybe if I watch it again, I might not be as a, a, a sort of five star sort of as I was at that time but you know i guess we'll we'll see but yeah for me at the time uh i loved it and i really enjoyed it and i thought it was one of the best sort of pixar films and one of the best sequels uh, for a comic book movie well not actually a comic book movie, sorry superhero movie it's probably the technical term because it's not based on a comic so yeah, yeah exactly yeah and I, I liked how i i never noticed it until i i listened to uh to another podcast the little white lies one where it's like the first one is the incredibles and this is like the terminator where it's like it's just Incredibles 2, it's not The Incredibles 2, and I, I find that to be a nice geeky touch. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's full of like a, a lot of nice touches, I mean, I thought there was sort of, you could see influences from, from different things, because um, I mean, when you think about it, it, The Incredibles came out before Batman Begins and before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so you know, the, the Dark Knight trilogy and the, and the MCU have become the sort of defining sort of comic book sort of franchises in that time so but the fact that it's basically picks up where it left off and uh i mean there's definitely influences i mean i could see a lot of um sort of batman arkham asylum arkham city sort of video game sort of stuff in there and things like that and yeah uh i mean yeah um i still think it was incredible so yeah maybe that's my opinion so there we go maybe we've ended up doing something we inadvertently did last week where we ended up picking this topic because of a small conversation we had at the end and this week um well the 21st of july for the uk certainly anyway is going to be the 10th anniversary of the the dark night perhaps we could maybe look at that and maybe that's next week's one where you could look it back at the uh the anniversary of that wait you want to do a a, a nolan uh, trilogy or yeah we could do that yeah absolutely we uh, could do yeah we'll do something along those lines so because, there's our uh, uh, yeah, stinger for the week too early for our Mission Impossible one so we'll need something to fill the void so yeah we might as well <laughs> we're sorted there we go well Excellent. that was easy done and I'm sure you'll be able to regale us with tales uh, of your trip to Chicago I'm sure you'll absolutely, be able to squeeze yeah. that Mike in Schindler somewhere. is very self and stuff like that so yeah so that could be there we go we're sorted for next week that's something to kill the time until Mission Impossible Absolutely. Uh, although I do plan to try and watch uh, the, the whole sort of franchise again if I can before I, I go and see it, because just thinking about it, it's it's one of those franchises, one of the few franchises I think that apart from number two, but from three onwards, the films get better as yeah. you go along. Well, I need um, to rewatch them as well now because uh, I obviously have seen this one. But I only found out with like two days notice that I was actually going to go see the film and it wasn't actually official really till the day of. So I never had a chance to re-watch them all. So I now plan to re-watch them all before subsequently going back to the cinema in a few weeks time to see the new Mission Impossible movie. But yeah, I think it's a movie that will 
definitely pay off quite a lot of little moments and beats from previous movies as well so your rewatch will stand you in good stead excellent well i've heard you know them comparing it to like mad max fury road and stuff but i did look back and i I had a tweet in early may saying that i think that mission impossible fallout will be the best film of the summer so uh the reviews seem to be backing me up will i agree i guess we'll find out in two weeks time there we go we'll tune in then Excellent. So I guess uh, that leaves us uh, off to sign off, but uh, I guess your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to join us next week. We'll be talking about The Dark Knight and the Nolan legacy on uh, the dark, on the DC universe. Uh, so until that time, uh, see you next time. There we go. I'll get that off. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Welcome to Nerd Party. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.